up your wine. It's time for Rosé All Day and Julie's a Mess, where we talk about current events and living in an intersex life. And now, here's Julie. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited. This is our 21st episode of Rosé All Day, Julie's a Mess, courtesy of JustJulie.com. And tonight's a little bit special. It's going to be, it's going to deter a little bit from our normal way that we run the show because we're going to be talking about some updates and some things that are going on in my life. And, um, and hopefully those will want to continue to follow and support me as I move forward. Uh, but let's get to the beginning of the show. I, you may have, may not have noticed I don't have wine in front of me, actually drinking Runza <laughs> That was a good plug for Runza in Nebraska. Not my sponsor, but they do have good Dr. Pepper. And as my good friend Joanna Baresh told me this morning, they have a great berry salad because I don't normally eat from them. And I have been noshing on the salad, waiting for the show to begin. And it's the only thing I've eaten today, and it's very good. One of the reasons I'm not drinking tonight is, one... I have to drive after the podcast to Lincoln to go see a friend. So I thought it would be wise not to drive. But also, because the doctor said it's not good for the baby. And I'm pregnant. What? Miss Julie. I feel special that I get to find out live. What? I'm not really pregnant. I just thought that that admission may bring a little bit more people to my (laughs) podcast. (laughs) <laughs> Please watch just Julie. Yeah, that's right. I'm not pregnant. Joke's on you. Um, people are like, what? I'm confused. She's pregnant? That'll be the running talk tomorrow, not Alabama, which we're about to get <laughs> So uh, my guest this week, she's been on before with us, but it is my good friend. And nay, I say colleague, but definitely my lawyer, Irene Hans. Some know her as Irene Pons Beatrice, Dr. Irene Pons. Uh, she teaches in the law department at University of Central Florida. She's been on here before. We've known each other since Disney. She's on here tonight to actually help give an update for where we are with our Alabama case. So I am going to talk probably a little bit more than she does just because what, guys? She's sick. Her whole family. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't mean sick twisted. I mean, she's sick. <laughs> she's, she's got the COVID. And it's okay. I mean, she's done everything that she should have done in trying to fight it. And she's mm-hmm. uh, got the vaccination. And they've done everything in her family. And then she ponied her kid off to preschool last week. And guess what? So uh, my thing going into this, and I'm not speaking for her, but get vaccinated. That's really important. I understand those that don't want to, but just do it and wear your mask everywhere. Even if there aren't any mask laws where you are, put them back on. I mean, if it even curbs it a little bit and we don't have to go through what we've been through in the whole last year, just wear it. That's just an easy request. I get not everybody wants to wear it. I get not everybody wants to be vaccinated. And that really is on you at the end. But 
in thinking about everybody else around us, just do it maybe. Hey, I agree with you, Julie. So I, I got vaccinated and I still got COVID. Um, we've been struggling for, this is uh, day 18 now that we have been in family quarantine because we fell like little Lincoln logs. It was my son and then my other son and then my husband and then finally me. So I get a little winded and out of breath. And um, today's like the first day that I've actually felt like I'm going to beat this, which is kind of silly, right? Because you're like, it's just COVID. Like, get over it, Irene. Like, you'll be fine. But you just get so scared and you get so anxious because you can't breathe. And there's really nothing you can take um, other than albuterol and nebulizer treatments, which I've been doing. So, so yes, please listen to Julie, get vaccinated. Um, this could have been a lot worse for our family. And we're fortunate that we're all home um, recuperating from COVID right now, but it's been a family that quarantines together. They might get a divorce together. I, I told my husband, I'm like, you need to go to work because I don't know about this whole, like, I love you. And it's been great having you home. But like we, I need some space. You can't even feel. I mean, let's be honest. You can't even feel your love tank. Like even if you really crave like being with somebody and being with your husband and just like supporting each other, even in the. I mean, I'm not trying to get dirty on my pot. Maybe a little bit, but uh, you can't even do that. Like I can't imagine. Like no. I had COVID last year and I was by myself. And but your love tank was empty. I mean, my love tank is always empty. Let's be honest. Oh, but I just meant you, I mean, there are probably times where you really want to like hold on to your hubby and be like, we're going to get through this and our kids are going to be okay. And you can't even do that because you're like, I don't want to reinfect you. You don't want to reinfect me. Here's a pillow and a blanket. Make the couch your best friend. Yeah. He's actually in the other room and I've got the kids because I'm doing nebulizer treatments at night before bed. And so uh, we've got another five days of quarantine technically or until we're symptom free. So we'll see. Now, not to make a joke, but to make a joke, could you put something like vodka or gin in the nebulizer? Would that make it easier for you? Maybe not. Oh, it, would, it, it would absolutely make it easy. I might put it in there for myself. That's a good idea. Yeah, That may be the new trend. Like do a nebulizer with a little bit of cherry vodka in there. Uh, it would be great. I'll pour some rosé in mine. <laughs> Leave it in. Rosé all day. Uh, okay, so for those of you that are watching and that are joining us, thank you for doing so. Uh, I was really excited about tonight because JustJulie.com and the team behind me, Russell Johns, released a press release about two weeks ago talking about this particular episode and about what's going on. And it was picked up by 188 news outlets around the globe which is thrilling and exciting. And that's exciting for Irene and myself because we've been working on this for so long. Uh, there are times when I feel like it's never going to end. I'm never going to get my passport updated. I'm never going to be able to fulfill goals within my own realm. So, um, so that was very exciting that people are sharing in the story. Irene and I, before we update you on what's going on exactly, uh, had the opportunity last week to be on a podcast with Ian Garlic. He does a podcast called True Law Stories, and we are able to share our fight and our continued effort to get this change done in Alabama. So we were on his podcast. That should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be sharing it on JustJulie.com uh, in our media section. I'm sure Irene will be sharing it. Um, it has been a long fight already. And the fight after doing that podcast, we know is not going to slow down and it's not getting any easier anytime 
soon, probably. So uh, just to catch everybody up on speed, kind of where we are, and some of you may not even know that I'm suing the state of Alabama. The way that happened was um, Irene and I had partnered together to get my name changed on in Florida. That was easy. Done. Then I went to go update and change all of my information with vital records in Alabama so that I could get an updated birth certificate with not only my new name of Julie A. Mayfield on it, but also my gender marker change. I wasn't asking to be intersex or X, as a lot of states are now starting to do. I was just asking, well, really just to be recognized as a female because that documentation represents who I am and how I present. And at that point in time, Alabama came back and said, well, you can do it, but you have to prove to us that you had sexual reassignment surgery and that you've gone out and gotten yourself a brand new shiny vagina. So I went back to Irene in a panic and I was like, look, I don't have to get a vagina. I'm intersex. I was born XXY. I had that extra chromosome attached to every single one of my chromosomal pairs. I was born with a partial uterus and pancreas and female sized heart and male sized lungs. And I have all that documented. And, and I had one ovary and one testicle. And I'm like, I'm already female. I've been told not to go get a vagina. I'm not trans. Oh my gosh, help me. How is this going to come to fruition that I can get my birth certificate updated? And so we started to work and, and she got her law students involved and we decided we would write a petition or this was her directive. A petition would be written and crafted that would ask the state of Florida, which is where I'd spent a bulk of my childhood and most of my adult life, if in fact they would recognize that I did not have to get a vagina to be considered female. And that if that was the case, and she can tell you all the fancy law words, because, you know, I watch LA Law and I watch television, but Allie McBeal, but I don't know the, the vocabulary, like Irene and my brother would know. But <laughs> essentially, that if Florida agreed to that and said that is true, she does not need a vagina to be considered female, then Alabama would have to recognize it because it's part of the union, it's part of the states. And if Florida recognized it, then Alabama should recognize it just on good faith, and then Alabama should change a gender marker. Flash forward, we finally got a committal from Florida. That's not even the right word, but in 2020, in September 2020, a judge in Miami-Dade County signed off on it. We had had a new lawyer get involved, Elizabeth Schwartz. Love her. She did so many great things for me. And we together got that recognized. Florida said, yeah, you don't need a vagina to be considered female. You have breast tissue. You have everything else working in your favor. You're intersex. We absolutely recognize you as female. You don't need sexual reassignment surgery. Go back to Alabama. Alabama said, nope, we want proof that you got a vagina. At which point made me scratch my head. I thought, well, what if a trans man needed to update his documentation? Are you going to request pictures and proof that he went and had phallo surgery done? 
Because one, that's very insensitive. And two, nobody needs to do that. And it's none of your business. And if medical licensing and community says, I don't need to do that, why are you making it so difficult for me to change a piece of paper to say that I'm female with my updated moniker on it? People, I think, don't realize that you need that piece of paper here in the United States for everything. You need it to get a house loan. You need it to get a car note. You need it to update information within different government agencies. You need it for a passport. You need it to update your passport. So it's literally put me at a standstill for the past three or four months. When that happened, Irene said, look, we've done everything that we needed to do to make this true for you and they're still pushing back. Therefore, Alabama has opened itself up for litigation. So we are now suing the state of Alabama for restitution and change my gender marker, my birth certificate. Irene, let's update them on where we are now. So where we're at in the process is we need help. And the reason Julie and I need help is because I'm only licensed to practice in the state of Florida. So ideally, we need to find an attorney that's willing to be an ally with us and join us in this battle in Alabama because we need to file a lawsuit to be able to go after them for violating her human rights uh, and not changing her gender marker. What we have going for us in this situation right now is the fact that there was a recent case in Alabama where someone um, took it to the Supreme Court and they were granted a gender marker change and they ruled that it was unconstitutional for them not to allow someone to have their gender changed because of this letter that they require saying that you have to have sex reassignment surgery. So what we're using from a legal perspective to back us up is obviously it's called the full faith and credit clause of the United States Constitution. Um, and so that clause in particular says, hey, if you have a court order from another state like Florida, you have to honor it and give credence to it if you take it to Alabama, which is what they haven't done. So when Julie and I submitted our court order from Florida with her name change, with her gender change, it was a certified copy. We submitted it to Alabama Vital Statistics Office. They sent us a letter back. It was devastating to both Julie and I. Why? Because the letter said exactly what we kind of expected. Um, um, Alabama kind of still being in the dark ages of, of bringing all this to fruition. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. So now in hand with that letter, we have the ammunition to be able to take this all the way up to fight for Julie's right. And so that is a really crucial, important step because we have a really, really, really good chance of winning this. And what this means for intersex rights um, across the United States um, for Julie as an amazing advocate is huge and it's monumental. So, you know, we need people to join us to be able to challenge them on that. And I think it's important. I mean, people ask me all the time. I, we had even talked about this in Ian Garlic's podcast. People have come to me and said, well, I can get your passport changed for you. I can update your passport. And I'm like, well, that's great. But I don't want to do anything because of a loophole. I want to get it changed. So people that come behind me don't have an issue. So that people that need to get it changed, this will literally be that stone in the lake that causes the ripples that eventually will get to the point where intersex people are recognized and they're not going to have to jump through archaic, antiquated hoops just to be viable in society. 
So I appreciate everybody that's like, I'll get your passport for you. That's great. But that doesn't, that doesn't champion the cause. That doesn't change anything. That just gets me a passport. And that's still great. But I, want, I need that birth certificate. And I need this state and other states to really wake up and be like, okay. Like people, I think people take it for granted. At the beginning of my transition, when I first had to start taking the estrogen, I was traveling a lot. I renew, I was traveling to California. I was doing different things. And the fear, because I present female, showing up at the airport and giving them at the time my male driver's license and a note to TSA that says, please don't make a big deal. Please don't call me out. Please don't force me to go into anything that would draw attention to me. Please don't do any of that. This is the process I'm going through. Please, that is horrible. It's humiliating. Worst feelings. And that's not being called out. And a lot of people aren't going to go to the airport and do that. I know a lot of trans women and men that'll travel and they don't go through all that. And they're caught out. And you think, that's not right. That's not fair. You need that documentation that supports. How, and I fly under the radar. Most times people do not stop and think she used to be a man. Mm-hmm. I don't need anything that's going to flag me anywhere, whether it be at a government agency or at the airport or getting on a cruise. And you need your birth certificate for some of these things. And you're that's stupid. I mean, who needs a birth certificate or a passport? I mean, I get it, but it literally has put a standstill to where I travel, where I go. Yes, COVID happened too, so nobody was doing that, but I need that documentation and I need it updated and I need it yesterday. So the fact that Alabama seems to be so misogynistic and so predicated on proving you know, they want proof that you got, and I'm like, what do you want me to do? Take you into the surgery center and film it? Should I put it on TikTok for you? Would that get me what I need done? Because that's humiliating too. I sh- I already have to, and so many people in the intersex community already have to fight for decent medical care yep. or just to be believed past what they've learned about their own bodies. To have to then go through something like this that's debilitating on so many levels. I know a lot of people that wouldn't be able to fight. I have that warrior strength. I have that fight in me. So allow me to fight for everybody if it's going to change in the future. Uh, we are currently looking, we, we have partnered with, uh, and Irene can correct me, we partnered with an attorney in Auburn, or not in Auburn, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of my mother's stuff. Uh, in Alabama, that is reaching out to somebody else to try and find the best way to kind of mitigate everything that we're going on. Uh, originally, I think we thought we'd gotten a lawyer, but we are looking for somebody pro bono. We have to find somebody that'll fight it at the federal level. So I imagine it would probably go to the Supreme Court in the state of Alabama first. And then if not through them, then it would I don't know. I don't know the chain of command. I don't know if it starts there and then goes to the federal. We would start in Alabama first. 
And then at that point, if Alabama rejects it, then we would take it higher. I mean, I don't think we'll end up having to go that that high. It would just stop in Alabama, um, given the recent case law and the changes that they've made. You know, I think it's a favorable outcome, and I'm hoping that the the resources and the contacts that we've made so far are going to help us kind of navigate, like you said, because it is kind of treacherous waters. You know, every state is different. Every county is different. It's, you know, good old boy clubs versus, you know, backwoods areas. Like you've got to know who the judges are. You've got to know their political affiliations. You have to kind of know who's bed, who's in bed with each other to make sure it's the appropriate um, place to be able to fight. Um, and we want to make sure that that all falls into place for Julie and for everyone else that's intersex uh, right, for those rights at the optimal time. And right now, I, I do think that that time is now. I think that um, God has opened a tremendous door for Julie as an advocate, that she's been given this amazing platform. And you're so good at it. And you're so good for other people because so many people look up to you um, that, um, you know, you've got to champion the causes and be that voice for the voiceless. Absolutely. And I think just it's a good it's it's hard to believe that Alabama wouldn't. You know, I, I think Irene and I both thought and everybody that's worked on the case thus far, I thought it's a it's a given. It's going to be quick and over. And it hasn't been. And the fact that they keep coming back and they're very you've got to do this. You've got to do that. This is the proof we need. And you're like. It's almost like they don't even believe in that state. Well, who knows what they believe? I'm not going to put words in their mouth, but, but it, I, you know, I was born there and I was just telling somebody earlier today, it's a beautiful state. And I love, for the longest time, I loved that I was from Alabama. But it's sad that we're where we are today in the world at large and me changing a piece of paper is predicated on whether or not I got, I mean, I have breasts. That's not enough. They want to make sure that you have a baby maker. <laughs> and you're like, what? Like, that's not even feasible for me to get. Like doctors have said, that's not feasible for her. So it just, it baffles me, but I do, you know, i made the joke the other day that, you know, my mom ended up suing Auburn university in the early eighties. And I'd made the joke. I'm like, look at the Mayfield women suing the state of Alabama. Like it's just weird how things kind of congruently run, but we, but you know, not to get so far off track on that. It's just, it's been a long ride. And it's, I think where we thought that we would have a, Places we thought we would have a for sure win, we haven't, and we've had to go back and regroup. And then other avenues where we thought, well, this is going to be like pulling teeth, hasn't been. It's, it's a weird kind of dichotomy, the way law works and the way just, it's very interesting that you said, um, that you had said the comment you made about backwood police officers and backwood judges. It always makes me think of that song, The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia by Reba McIntyre, because that's exactly what that song's about. Like, watch out. You don't know who's in your back pocket and who's not in your back pocket. And you don't know who has an agenda and who doesn't have an agenda. And a lot of times that plays really heavy into verdicts across the country. 
It does. I'm looking at myself now and I'm like, I'm giving you full Fox anchor tonight. <laughs> you look fabulous. <laughs> I'm giving you full <laughs> Southern. Hey, welcome back to Fox News. <laughs> I don't even watch Fox, but you know, that's what I'm giving you full, like, the glamorous. Um, okay, so what what would be your hope as an attorney timeline-wise for the next couple of months? Like, what would be the best scenario for you? So ideally, um, we'd like to get a, a partnership in place in the next month or so and a commitment from an attorney um, that can help us uh, continue this journey. Because then at that point, it's just a matter of, you know, helping them draft the pleadings and getting something filed. Um, so the next couple months, hopefully by Christmas, we can have everything kind of ready to go filed and see where it goes from there. As far as the court structure in Alabama, you know, I'm going to defer to the attorney in Alabama to tell me, all right, things in Alabama are taking this long, or we should file in this County for the interest and details. But once we have that dream team in place that can help you and advocate for you, um, it's not going to be difficult because the plans themselves are, are not um, highly intricate. It's just straightforward. It's like, this is what it is. She's intersex. We have a court order from Florida granting her the fact that she has a gender change on her um, gender marker change and, and you need to get it done. So we're going to, I would love. I would love because of all the work we've done so far with the students at UCF and the law. I mean, I'm like, we're already here. We may as well just counterpony with like law students at Auburn or Alabama. <laughs> yeah, no, we could definitely get do them that. all involved. We could absolutely do that. I could contact them and um, we love doing anything that's, you know, involving other communities, other students or educational opportunities. So I think this well, and it, and it, like you said before, it's practical for those students who, and moving forward, they're going to be, I'm sure a slew of cases that come up across many states that have to do with intersex and trans and identity. And it would just be great to be able to do further what we've already started at UCF and partner with another university in the state that we're trying to make amends and changes to. I think that would be really cool to do. I was going to mention it to you the other day, but no, I think not like we don't have enough really stuff good. to deal with. So let me get through. It will be good. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great idea. Anything like that, that we can kind of teach other students and the future educators, I call them like the future activist, right? To light a fire. Yeah. And, and fuel their desires to do what we do and show them that it is attainable. Um, because a lot of times cases like this, you know, you don't get to, to this level where I'm at when you're in law school. Um, I think it's important to, I, I know that not every lawyer is in a position where they can do pro bono work, just like not every doctor is in a position where they can do pro bono services. But I think that's an important part of giving back to the community. And I think it works twofold. I think it teaches the lawyer sometimes that, you know, it kind of keeps them at a ground level. You know, they don't get too big for their bridges necessarily. But I think for people that can't afford the service, it gives them hope that somebody's there in their corner that wants them to come out on the right end and I just think that's very, I think pro bono work is very important in every aspect, 
in, you know, whether it be doctors, lawyers, teachers, schools, I, you know, that's why schools have scholarships. I think that's a very important part of just giving back and maintaining within the community. Looks like uh, J.S. Lamb, great discussion. Must go to a 7.30 p.m. meeting. We'll watch the rest of the video when it's posted. Yay, thank you. Thank you, thanks for watching. Uh, I was going to tell anybody that's watching if you had any questions for me. Irene's probably not gonna stay on all night because she, you know, I do, she does have COVID. And I'm not, you know, a witch. I'm not going to be like, you got to do my show for an hour. Um, but she's going to let us know when she's ready to go. I was going to say, if anybody has any questions for us this evening, feel free to comment. If we do not get to them this evening, we absolutely will circle back and answer them in a future uh, edition of Rosé All Day, Julie's a Mess. Uh, what is, I guess, okay, so I asked you what your your timeline and takeaway would be. Um, let's talk a little bit while we have you on the show, just because I know it's important to you too. What's going on with your documentary and your series on the border issues? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I was actually, I have my Emmy right here. <laughs> I was like, hey. Let's see it. Show this us the Emmy. Emmy. Oh my gosh, guys, I'm going to have an Emmy on my show. <laughs> there it is. It's actually Look an Emmy Let's see the Emmy. Let's see her. I would like to be back in my next life as Emmy, the statue. <laughs> yeah, kind of so like I, got, Harp, I should. Kind of reminds me of Harp Girl. Um, so it's an Emmy contributor plaque. We won um, an Emmy for uh, our series. It's called A Break for Impact at BreakForImpact.com, and it's just another one of my passion projects. I'm really an advocate for immigration, immigration rights, and so. The first documentary took us to Matamoros, Mexico, and we were embedded in a, a camp with non-government organizations. And we were showcasing um, and kind of highlighting what was going on in Mexico with the border crisis. And there was 3,500 immigrants living on the banks of the Rio Grande River under horrendous conditions in tent cities. And so- um, I mean, you've seen them up close. Your students saw that up close. The media paints a very different portrait they always have, you know, and, and I'm in media. So, I mean, I, it's hard for me to necessarily chastise, but you've been there on the front lines and you've seen it. What are some of those conditions that they're not telling us about? I mean, they don't tell you the fact that they're actually shackling people with five point harnesses and putting them on airplanes and doing fast deportations. So the minute they cross into the United States, they take them, they put them back on a plane and they ship them to um, third world countries that we allegedly have these agreements with that are accepting them. Um, and they're not necessarily sent back to their home country. They're sent to places like El Salvador, Honduras, places that can't even support their own infrastructure and support their own people. Um, and it's men and women being shackled in these five point harnesses, treated like criminals. And it's all in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. And they won't. So they could be coming through Texas, through Mexico, through the Mexico border. And then they are put on a plane, shipped right away, but they're not being shipped necessarily back to Mexico. They may be going to wherever else. It, yeah. It doesn't matter what country they're from. They're going to be shipped to wherever they have. The United States has an agreement with, which is Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. So then they're going to get back to these countries, not know anybody necessarily, and have to start all over in a 
third world, you know, in a different country from where they're from. Mm -hmm. That's, and then in many situations, maybe being separated from other family members. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of family separation now. So under the, the Trump administration, the biggest difference was that the, the family separation was, was happening once they came in. Right. And that's what we were seeing on the news, on the media, these detention centers holding all these children. Um, now that the administration has changed, we were hoping to see some differences. So I went to Arizona a couple weeks ago to film the second documentary um, and see what was going on down there. And the only difference that has changed is there's this thing called Title 42, which was instituted under Trump because of COVID. They're not allowing anybody to come in. Biden said, well, hold on, we're going to let children, but not their parents. So there's still family separation happening, except the decision is being made behind the fence. You know, they're on the side of Mexico and they're huddled there together. Moms are making decisions to say, you know what, eight-year-old son, you go ahead that border because you can get in and they'll keep you in the United States and you can get, you know, seek asylum and I'll just be here. And so in the month of March and April, we had the highest border crossings of, of, of kids. Um, but then so, they'll bring the kids in, but then they still might turn around and send the mom to Guadalajara. Well, the mom won't even come. At this point, the parents can't even come in. So the parents are making the choice to send their kids. And so that's what that's kind of what we're seeing now is like an influx of children. Um, and I'm not saying that this is what's happening or going on, but then my brain goes to, well, those kids are coming in and they don't have a way to be cared for or necessarily raise themselves or be in a situation. And then they get trafficked into sex trafficking because I just yeah. saw something on that. And then like your brain goes a million different miles in a million different directions. And you think, how are we? missing the ball on something that seems like it would be so easy. And then at the same time, I sit here and I go, huh, no wonder Alabama has problems with the gender marker change because <laughs> we can't even keep a family together. Yeah, we have, we have some big, big issues. So my, my goal is to highlight that and showcase that because people just don't know. You don't know because it doesn't affect us, right? We're not directly impacted by it, you know, especially being in Florida, it's not considered a border state. Um, but going there and being on the ground and actually seeing what's happening with these organizations, actually seeing migrants who are crossing through the desert dying, um, actually seeing dead bodies, actually, it's, it's horrible. Um, I, you would think Florida would be considered a, a border state just because you know, we know from living there that there are many refugees that die yearly trying to cross the ocean to get into Florida. Yeah, from Cuba. And I, I would definitely argue that, you know, it could be a, a border state because we are, we yeah. do migration here. We have detention centers in Florida. We have one of the biggest ones down in Miami. So I didn't know that we do. Oh yeah. It's called Chrome. It's one of the, the bigger detention centers down in Miami. And that's where a lot of the, the, the migrants are being held. And then you've got tons in Texas. You've got, you know, all over the border. Do they have any kind of freedom within the detention center? Like, do you see them? Is there any kind of, is it more like jail or is, is there freedom to where um, maybe parents that have already been able to cross into and are in the system, maybe they start to kind of pick up the slack on some of the kids that are coming over without parents. Like, is there any kind of community kind of, or is it just 
everybody for themselves? It's hard to tell because they're doing everything so secretively. So they have these huge tent cities. Um, and one of them is in Donna, Texas. And they have giant partitions and black screens up so you can't even see when you're going there. Um, I've worked with groups such as Witness at the Border, which is a great group to belong to. And they actually are, are the eyes on the ground and they actually just go witness and make sure that the doers know that there are watchers. And they've been able to tell me that, you know, within the Children's Detention Center, especially one that was in Homestead a couple of years ago, you know, they did see the children playing, but it was very regulated. Um, the certain children, if they were 15 or older, were housed in a se separate area, but they had like a playground and they had things like that. But it was like a, a bunk style uh, situation. They all wear kind of what I call prison clothes because it's just a uniform that they have to put on and they all have the same hat on. Um, so it is more like prison. They're not free to leave. You can't go to McDonald's and pick up some French fries. Um, you're stuck. I mean, they're there. They're yeah, stuck you're there. Stuck. And there's not, uh, are they doing anything like, I guess they're not doing it. I mean, are they doing anything like school? Are they trying to teach the kids? Like, are they doing anything like that? Yeah, they do, they just, do. Yeah, they do try and teach the children. Um, they have resources there. They have doctors. They have clinicians. They have psychologists. They have social workers. So there is an infrastructure in place. And I know that there are good people. I don't want people to think that, oh, Border Patrol is bad. No, not all of Border Patrol is bad. There are good people doing good things across the board. Whether It's, it's a bad situation. Yeah, it is a bad situation. It's a bad situation. But it is. I, I was just asking because you've seen it. You've seen it and I trust you. And I was like, people may watch this and be like, no, it's not like that. You've seen it. You've been yeah. there. That's what Watch your whole docu-series was about. And you took students from UCF with you. You took some of your law students with you so they could see it firsthand. And I'm sure that caused a lot of angst. And I'm, sh I'm sure there were nights when y'all would sit around and just cry and talk about ways to make it better. And, and how do we fix this? And how do you fix this as a student moving forward? make sure stuff like this doesn't happen in the future. I'm, I'm sure those conversations were had. Oh yeah. Our last trip, we had to, we had to have a psychologist help us because there was so much trauma that we experienced coming back and just being there. And then you have this feeling of helplessness, you know, and I kind of liken it to your situation where you just feel helpless. There's nothing more um, difficult, you know, humanly to have that powerless feeling that you have all this training like me, this you know, three years of law school to get to where I am. And I still feel like I can't help. It's like, I can't do enough. It always reminds me, sometimes my situation, I explained this to somebody the other day, and it's always fun for me to figure out new ways to teach people about things. And in regards to stuff like this, I always think of that scene in Pretty Woman where Joe Roberts is sitting in front of Hector um, I can't think of his last uh, Alfonso. I think that's his, Alonzo, his last name. And, you know, he's the uh, general manager of the hotel, the Beverly Wilshire. And she's sitting in there and she's like, I just need to buy a dress. I have all this cash. I have all this money. I have all this stuff. I have all these blueprints from some of the top doctors in the country saying, this is what I need to survive. I have all this stuff but nobody will help me. Nobody will sell me just a stupid dress to go meet Richard Gere in a bar. Mm -hmm. Like, and I feel like it's that situation that I've got everything I need. Help me. 
You know, and, and so many people in the intersex community don't go to doctors because they'll say, I know this, this, and this to be true. And the doctor will say, how do you know that to be true? I'm the doctor. Let's do this, this, and this, and let's snip that, and let's cut that off, and let's not tell anybody about it because you're not normal. Like, people don't want to go to a doctor in the intersex community. And then they start relying on themselves and creating these kind of sub-communities on things like Facebook and Reddit and all these other places. And they're not even sharing necessarily proper education either because they've been fed so much stuff for the past 60 years. That's not true. And so it's very frustrating. And I think of people that eat, and then you think they're not, they don't go to a doctor. What makes you think that they're going to walk into vital records and be like, I need this changed. They're not because you already treat them on so many different levels as a marginalized populace. You already say you're not worth anything. And it's the same kind of, it's funny that we kind of fell into this conversation tonight and that I asked you about it because on some levels, it must be the same for some of these people that are seeking asylum and seeking refuge because the country and people in professional positions are saying, you're not viable. You don't belong here. Mm-hmm. We got to ship you somewhere else, but you can't be here. And on an intersex level, so many people are saying to intersex people, you don't belong here. You're a freak. You're in between the genders. There are only two genders. You don't deserve health care. You don't deserve to be treated as a human person. You don't deserve any of that. But we all deserve it because we're all human first and we all have human rights and we all deserve, we all deserve to have a viable place at the table and in this society. And we all deserve health care and we all deserve the same rights and we all deserve the same tax breaks. I see it the same way. It's so simple, Julie. It, it really is. And I, yet here we are trying to fix all this, this broken system so that people can treat other people with human kindness. I got a new shirt last week. It says, just be a better human. Just be a better Period. human. Period. That's, be I mean, that's all it Period. takes. It's like, seriously, be a better human being to other people. Have compassion for others in their plight because you never know what shoes they walked in to get to where they are. You know, you've always heard, I've always heard that saying, and it makes you laugh a little bit, but it's so true. You know, walk a mile in your friend's shoes, then you'll be a mile away and you'll have her shoes. But, um, but, (laughs) but you pick somebody that has Louboutins, Um, but, but it's true, you know, and, and I've said this so many times and you've heard me say it, you know, my story is my story. It doesn't mean my story is better than your story. It doesn't mean that I deserve a different place in the world because of my story versus your story. It means that I have a story and you have a story. And the only way we're going to change perceptions and we're going to change minds and we're going to recreate the wheel in some situations is to educate 
by telling our stories. That doesn't make mine greater than yours. It just, I tell mine in a very public way to change perceptions. You're telling the stories of the borders in a very public way to gain knowledgement and also to change perceptions and perspectives and to make it better for those humans that are having to endure that and come through that. And people, a lot of time, I think, especially with borders, they go, well, it's America and they don't belong here. And does every human not deserve to be able to go to bed at night and feel safe? Does every human not deserve to, to feel wanted and needed? And I mean, those are basic rights. And if they're not getting them in their country, yeah, it sucks. But as a human race, should we not be embracing them and saying, you're human? And it sucks that you've had to live the last 10, 15 years like that. And while we're struggling over here too, and we may not be able to give you everything that we have, you're still human. So we're going to work together to try and figure it out. Yeah. Migration is not illegal. People migrate all the time. People come from New York and spend six months in Florida. Santa Claus migrates every year all around the globe. That's right. So I don't see why it should be any different for somebody who's trying to do that. And it infuriates me that they've weaponized the desert. The desert is the weapon. They purposely funnel people through there to die. There's a cactus when we were walking. Because of the heat and the cactuses heat and the cactuses. venomous snakes and Everything. spiders. Yeah, there's a cactus in the desert when we were doing, we did a, a six mile hike in the desert in 110 degree weather. One of my girls got um, heat exhaustion. It was treacherous, but we wanted to do it because we wanted to see what people go through. And this cactus actually senses heat and jumps on you. It's called a chola. Yes, we had to bring pliers to be able to take it out of our clothes and our skin. So there's just crazy things that go on that people aren't aware of. And hopefully you guys will, will check out the documentary at breakforimpact.com. Breakforimpact.com. And we shared that before. Yeah. And then yeah. that you'll just, uh, you'll help us with the Alabama case. Yes. You know, get in touch this. with me, please. Or get in touch with Julie. If yeah. you know somebody that's interested in taking this case in the state of Alabama, contact us. You can reach me at Julie at justjulie.com. You can reach Irene Pons. I can give you her, Dr. Pons' information. You can reach out to Russell Johns. You can reach out to Blair Fanning at russelljohns.com if you need to. Reach out to us. Help us. I don't want to say right or wrong. That's exactly what we're doing. But help us change the future for a better future for everybody involved. You know, it's often cases like this that start the ripple. And who knows what will come out of that. And so, I mean... Tag this video when you see it on YouTube. Tag Good Morning America. Tag everybody that you can possibly tag that you think may have an interest in this story that will help us get to the next place that we need to be. Be a part. You know, of we could even go, I would love to come visit all of you watching, but I'm not going to be able to get that without a passport. And I can't get that passport without my birth certificate. But seriously, for all the jokes, if you know somebody reach out and then catch I and garlic's podcast. When we start to run that around, like share, share, share. I have always said social media is dead without people sharing stuff. This will sit on the internet for forever. 
30 years from now, somebody will be like, I wonder whatever happened to that case. And they'll Google it and they'll say nothing because nobody shared it. So in an essence, an effort to be able to fulfill what we're doing with the state of Alabama, share it in an effort to change perceptions with Racing for Impact and what Irene's doing with the borders, share it, share it, share your story, share your light, share your existence. That's the only way we're going to be able to create feasible change moving forward as a society. Dr. Pons, or as I like to call you, Mary Pop-Tart. I'm going to bid adieu and I'll let you do your goodbyes and go tuck my kids in. Yeah, absolutely. Go do that in buterol treatment. And don't forget to add the vodka and the cherry um, to yours later. I'll let you You know. You tell your husband, be like, Julie came up with a great idea. Oh, I'm sure we'll have some scotch in your, he'll be like, all right. (laughs) All right. Great to see you. Thank you for having me on the show again, Julie. Bye. We'll catch up soon. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye. So guys, you heard a lot tonight, a lot. You heard about Alabama and where we are with that case and what we're looking to do and what we need your help doing. Once again, if you know anybody in the state of Alabama that can help me further this cause, please have them reach out to me at julie at justjulie.com. And if you're interested in Dr. Pond's continued work with the boarders and her students, make sure you check out bracingforimpact.com. She did get an Emmy for her work in that. And then just remember kindness is free. And that the only way we're going to change perceptions, perceptions moving forward is by sharing our stories collectively and changing the world. I've said it a couple of times this week, but one of my sister's, Courtney's favorite quotes is by Rumi. And it says, make make the world a better place than how you found it. Make the world a better place. Join us in this fight, support this podcast, and I will see you next week when I try a brand new rosé, because what? We will be back to our regular show of Rosé All Day, Julie's a Mess. Thank you for your love and support. I couldn't do it without all of you. For more content, follow JustJulie.com. That's JustJulie, J-U-L-E-I-G-H.com. Thank you to our guests, and thank you for joining us this evening. Join us next week as Julie tries a different rosé.